Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. What a glorious day. We're here and Jesus is alive. Can I get an amen for that one? Jesus is out of the ground all the way alive. So fantastic. There you go, Miss Becky. Oh my gosh. Miss Becky and I have a special relationship. We get to see each other a couple times a week and enjoy one another's company. We pray together sometimes. And uh, thank you for being with us today. Today we're, we're in the book of Acts. We're finishing. Paul is at work. He is bringing the gospel. Uh, when, John, when Luke wrote the book, he starts it out in Acts 1-8 where he continues uh, what Jesus was talking through through the gospels. And he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Paul, what he's doing as he continues in this journey, he's bringing that gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ is the way that God connects with broken mankind to the ends of the earth, to the ends of their known world. And so we, we've been in Jerusalem. Paul, went. he's had these missionary journeys. He's come back and forth. He's in Jerusalem. He was accused falsely. And now he's, been, he's going to Rome. And uh, this passage gives us a, some, some fun details about his journey, and I thought I'd bring along a special friend that I made this week, and I think we're going to have him on the video right now to tell us about the journey. Thank you. 
the storm season was fast approaching. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off nights. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of creeks opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous, so Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the captain of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete. Acts 27, 7-12 Fair Haven and the rugged southern coast of Crete provided no shelter for Paul's ship. It's not hard to imagine that the captain of the ship would have ignored the warning of a prisoner. Therefore, the captain decided that they should not stay there for the winter and try to move on to Phoenix, a port on the protected side of the island, about 40 miles away. As we're about to find out, that would prove to be a disastrous position. Hmm. Well, thank you to... Uh that beautiful video from uh, those guys. I can't wait to subscribe to their service. I didn't know about it. We homeschooled our kids, and my wife tells me, oh, yeah, I know about, uh, I think his name is Scott, and I, but driving through history. Can't wait to learn more about that. I'm a history nerd, so all of you who are into that, we'll go hang out together. We'll go grab Kent. It's going great. Uh, but Paul, he's in Caesarea. He's trying to get out. Uh, this picture is of the Mediterranean Sea, as April and I were standing in Caesarea, right next to the place that the uh, Roman leader would have tried Paul and had all that. So I love that God let us have this place to be and, and to have those memories and share them with you. And he'd ha Paul's had these couple of thin appearances with the Roman leaders and had this fake trial and been falsely accused. and The witnesses couldn't, couldn't go there. And, and so he's going to Rome. And what happens on his way is that he's re-encouraged. We read this a couple weeks ago that Paul was re-encouraged. He goes, following, the night following his arrest, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. Acts 23. This reaffirmation of what the Lord had told Paul is similar to what he told what, Paul, what the Lord told Ananias on the day that Paul heard the gospel for the first time on Acts 9, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul's he's in Roman custody. He's off to Rome. He's about to testify about Jesus. And they're in Caesarea. They're going to catch this boat to Rome. There's all kinds of boats that go to Rome. You just heard Scott tell us about that. And no biggie, right? No sweat. Well, I'm not so sure. Go to the next slide. He says, I, I, like, I like using tools. My wife is great at this. She should give a clinic. And Hannah, they'll color their papers and their Bible. I see other people with different color things. So I, I put all the fair weather encouragement in blue. Blue's a great color. I'm wearing blue today. Uh, it's good. So, so Paul, he's, he's, uh, Julius helps him. 
They're with him. They allowed him to go to his friends and provided for our needs. Man, sounds like we're off to a great start. But then we keep going and we get a lot of red. Now, this is different than rib shack red. Rib shack red is great. And this red is dangerous. Go to the next slide. Uh, you can see that there's a bunch of headwinds and trouble, right? They're against us. Slow headway, difficulty. I love the visuals. I love seeing pictures and watching. I was trying to find a, a video of ancient ships. Of course, we didn't have quality video cameras back then like we have now. They just had kind of have average video cameras, so we didn't play any of that rough video. That's a joke, of course, from uh, 2,000 years ago. But we did have that recreation in the narrative. I thought that was fantastic. Difficulty and much Time had been lost. And I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm on a project and I'm moving forward and there's difficulty and much time is lost, wait, I, I, I start to get a little nervous. This morning, right, I, I thought I'd be a way ahead and this and that, and I found a mistake and I messed up my slides and then my printer didn't work and I go to the laundry and print and it doesn't work. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm almost sweating. I'm kind of, it's cold and I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm getting behind. Difficulty's coming. I don't like that. And by the way, um, so there's, there's a pressure in there. And there's a little, one more little note I wanted to share while we're in this moment. Is that we, we picked up, he picked up that Luke is with him. And you notice that because he says we. So Luke's now writing in the first person is in this part. And Luke, he's been in, in the journey with Paul a couple of times. And you can, we can kind of tell because the narrative is more robust. There's more details and more, uh, more story. And because... Luke had gone, he told us in the beginning of Luke that he had gone to make a first-hand account, a diligent first-hand account to interview eyewitnesses so he could write his story about the records about what actually happened concerning Jesus to his benefactor. And he picks this up. And I have been, uh, I, I did college ministry for a season. I wrote about or read, listened to other people's stuff, Lee Strobel and other people about well, the Bible being credible, and that's where I learned all this stuff. I didn't come up with it myself for sure. And Luke's details are intricate. And one of the things that's really cool about modern archaeology is that we've found so many new things. This system, we've got the income to do it and the techniques to uncover new things. And Luke's all, he leaves all these details. What are all these details? Well, they're little stepping stones that you could disprove the Bible, right? There was no mighty named this. There was no place named that. That Luke just made all that stuff. Oh, this is just a big fairy tale. And one of the things that had been a pretty good-sized criticism is that a key player in the life of Jesus was the fellow who, who pronounced guilt upon him, that he should be crucified. His name's Pontius Pilate. And we have uh, not, they had not found in the much digging and uh, discovery in the Roman in the uh, Roman times and others, in Jerusalem, anything that referred to this guy, Pontius Pilate. Only place was in the Bible, and so Christians were mocked. <laughs> you guys just made this stuff up. So, and then here along in the 1960s, an Italian group was excavating a site in Rome, in Jerusalem, excuse me, and they found this. This is not the actual one. This is a replica. The actual one's in a museum, but they put one that looks just like it. And it's called the uh, Pontius Pilate Tablet. Uh, maybe it's a more interesting but on it it says Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. They discovered that in Caesarea, which is right where we left today, right? So I picked one that was in the area. We didn't go to Jerusalem. This is in Caesarea, I forgot. And it's right there. And so what was an unverified detail turns into a verified one. So I thought that was interesting that 
Luke, in all these details, he gives us about the places they went. Golly, he's leaving us clues to build our faith. And by the way, there's no big, this is another talk, there's no big uh, gotcha moments where archaeology contradicts the scriptures. There are some scriptures that don't have accompanying evidence of archaeology, but there are no big gotcha moments. That's another day's talk. We can have that another day. So back to our story. The people on the ship, they're probably going... You can just hear them on that part where it's going slower, that on their inside voice they're saying, man, this is is getting worrisome. We're taking too long on this first part of the journey. It's supposed to go fast. We sail on the inland shores. And then it gets farther along, and now at verse 9, you hear much time has passed, as he told us earlier. Much time has been lost, and sailing has already become dangerous because it was now after the Day of Atonement. And what's the Day of Atonement? Well, it's a Jewish feast. It's on the calendar for late August, early September. I'm sorry, September, October. And traveling season in the Mediterranean uh, was dangerous from September to November. And it was outright not done from November to February, March. Why? Because these weather fronts would come through and the winds would just become boat-shatteringly dangerous. We know all about wind right here, shattering winds. You know, you want to avoid that stuff on the water. It's not quite as good. So that's why it was a big deal, the Day of Atonement. Luke put that date in there. And uh, so here they are. They have this decision point. The next slide, I think. Decision point. There, Paul gives his advice. One of the men, I can see that your voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and also our lives. Small detail there. Our lives are kind of a big deal. They, they didn't want that. And Paul had had this experience before. Uh, if you go to the book of 2 Corinthians, which Paul wrote about four years earlier, we have pretty good information. You can tie all the clues together. We don't have time to go through all that today. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he tells them, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, and three times I was shipwrecked, I spent the night and a day in the open sea. Now, I'm guessing that you guys have some stories about adventures you've had. Is that right? I know Jeremy. I'd come, we'd come hang out at the house. If I lived on Hemlock Street anymore, we'd, we'd have to come to my house now. I'll have to come to yours. Uh, we talk about our adventures where we got, you have some, men have scars. You got scars on you, you know, like this one right here. My best bud cut me in the White House in the mall, right? Just because I pinched him and he was trying to be cool. So boys were stupid. Girls don't do that. I mean, almost no girls have scars. Big scar. I don't know if you can see it. We have scars and stories to go with them. And Paul's got three shipwreck stories. We just don't have the letters where he wrote them. Surely he wrote them to somebody. Three. You'd remember that stuff. So he's over here talking to this pilot like, this is going to be disastrous. Now, maybe he didn't have, maybe he elaborated more. It's not written down. But he knew all about it. And he's given them his opinion about this. Um, three ships wrecked before. But the verse 10, this is the majority, went with Julius and uh, they went on. And they wanted to go to Phoenix to winter there. Now, I thought, this is a side note, it was a tiny bit ironic that you wanted to go to a city. Maybe the Greek's not the same, but in our language, Phoenix, you know, up from the ashes, out of death, right? I don't want to go to a shipwrecked, you know, uh, a place called up out, up out of the ashes. That's just me. Going to Phoenix, I think that's bad. But the progression of these several headwinds builds up a word that I think describes this moment very well. It's called pressure. Pressure. This is a uh, this this gauge is low pressure, but just pretend it was all the way at the red zone. 
but a, a plant, a process plant, that's, all, that's why the flares are out there. Who, who works in one of those? You know all about the flares, right? The flare is there because if this process, all these pipes and the, the process to refine uh, petrochemicals and break them down, oil, light oil, butane, propane, as you go up the carbon ladder, uh, if there's overpressure, the vessel will break, and that's very bad. So they have a flare to relieve the pressure. And, and so we, we've just got a lot of pressure here. And our world has a lot of pressure. We may not be on a ship heading to Rome in the time of year where unexpected storms can drive us to the brink of death. But there are several external problems that have been putting weights on us. Let's talk about one, uh, the coronavirus. Right? We've got, we got to spend some time with some church leaders around the country when we were in Atlanta the other day. And it was just kind of shocking to listen to how much of an impact it had. I just thought that it was the hurricanes more than anything else that kind of just put such a blow on us and the church and other churches around. And no, it's, it's a big deal. In-person attendance is down 50% at some places. Uh, and, and a good third or more is really common. And, and it's, it's a problem. And these are places that I, they were unexpected for me. I, I, I didn't know. I've just been in my lane, you know, fix my stuff, take care of my things. I don't have a lot of energy for everything. I, uh, man, and, and financial giving is cons- down commensurate with that. It's just been a big challenge. Uh, what happens when we don't worship and meet together as a people? The Bible says, which is kind of what, you know, church attendance is down. The Bible says we start swerving in one example. If we go to Hebrews 10, 23-25, if you, if you like, go to your Bible on that page. I just want to live on that. That's, that's such a great passage. If you haven't memorized that one, put it on your fridge this week or laminate it, put it in the shower and read it. Hebrews 10, 23-25. If you have teenagers, this verse is especially important because it talks about swerving. You know, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. You want your teenagers to not do swervingly but to do unswervingly. For he who promised us is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you see, I've already cheated and done my blue on here. That, that uh, the, the, the big part of this passage has just lit up my heart since the day I really... I mean, I, I thought about it the most when I did start doing college ministry, right? That if you don't have a we and a us and a one another and encourage one another, man, we run out of juice quick. We run out of energy. We start to become cynical and, oh my goodness, it, it's really tough. Sam and I have been duck hunting lately, goose hunting, and Silas. I don't see Silas. He had, he had a wedding to go to this weekend. But we got into it, and man, it's fun. Who's, who's a duck hunter in the room? We'll talk later. Yes, duck hunters. When I was a boy, my daddy took me from age five to I went to grad school, and it was great. I had so many adventures there. But if you go, we went speckle belly hunting on the last one because the ducks weren't out. And big flocks of specks were just so emotional. I mean, you just see them coming. It's so exciting. But they avoid you because there's, they're more wary. But a single or a double... Man, you can have your spread. They have beautiful decoys. Now, I didn't even know. They're, they look just like a bird. They have this like, foamy relief on them, and they wave just a little bit in the wind, and the guy calling, he was terrific. And a single or double, you can just woo them in. And it just kind of peel over there, peel over. Man, you, boom, boom. 
Singles are easy, much easier than a flock. And that's the same with us. We, us, one another, together. We get out of habit of the meeting together. Man, we are easy pickings. Don't do that. It's another day's talk, but that's just what he's telling us, right? What, what, ice coronavirus, separate, separate, but be careful, of course. If you're, man, no one's more interested in preserving life than, you know, we, we are. We, we want that, but take, take precautions and do the right things. And if you're a vulnerable population, absolutely. No one's saying be cavalier with risk, with real risk. But if it's, if you know it and there you have it, well, then you, you take steps, right? You wait, you, you start to get wise and then you can move forward. For sure, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But being isolated has emotional, financial, relational consequences. And seeing each other on the screen, right, it is a helpful tool. If you want to have a meeting with people around the country, that's great. But it's not quite the same. And it's particularly over the long term. It's, it's, I'm not there anymore. I cut off and I feel like I can start listening to my own inside voice. Some of they don't care about me and no one cares. You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, we... It's not quite as good. It's a useful tool, and, and, but it's a headwind. I'll call, I'll call it a headwind. Next one, how about hurricanes? We have a few of those. They're, they're kind of exciting. Um, I'll pick one little idea that we've, we've learned about the difference between a tornado and a hurricane. Tornadoes, we had a tornado hit our house. They're localized events, so the people who didn't get destroyed, life's pretty normal. Hurricane, you know, everyone's got something. If your house was okay, well, then your mom or your sister or someone who you really depends on you, they need you. So... Man, everybody's got a full load. Tornadoes a little bit more, uh, more isolated. I'll just say I had such a glorious time going with Mr. Philip Tarver, his leadership. They organized a trip to bring support and encouragement to uh, the people in Mayfield, Kentucky. I know just after our home was destroyed, my family was spared. I just saw those people and all the challenge they had. It was really, I wanted to get involved and that was a good start. And I'm so grateful for Mr. Philip's leadership on that. Um, tornadoes or hurricanes, it's just bad. And, you know, one of the things that brings us is on this page, it's already there, it's emotional toil. I remember uh, I was talking with Tim this week about how the, in the aftermath of the storm, just doing all the recovery, I just felt, I mean, you had to be on it. And I had, you know, a couple things that I'm in charge of, and man, it was, it was boom, 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 boom. And it was a bit like an adrenaline rush, right? You're just, every day, you're working as hard as you can. There's just a never-ending list of projects, and you've got to solve one problem and fix another problem and this and that. And about last fall, I think it, it took a real emotional, I was just, I didn't realize that I was getting so weary. You know, and it's, it's, just, it's just a problem. It's a headwind for us. Uh, finances are impacted with these outside things, right? It's a real problem. Hurricane damages, insurance problems, questions lingering, contractor disputes, money out the door, how about inflation, right? We've had all this coronavirus spending. Well, now we've got to worry about inflation and other problems. It's, it's a concern. It's a headwind. It's, it's a headwind. It's for real. It adds a little pressure. Well, how about life at the street? Do we have any headwinds that blow on us? Well, we had all the ones I just mentioned, right? We're in between lead pastors right now. That's, that's a headwind. Uh, I know it adds pressure for me. You know, have, this is... I like to preach, but man, it, it takes effort and work, and it's a little more, a little more pressure, a little more headwind. It takes time. The ad hoc members, man, they spent some time. This is a lot of pressure, work. I mean, it's work you want. You want the responsibility. You want to be a helpful, contributing member. If you're in your family, you want your family to thrive. If you're in your church, you want, you want it to do well. We're happy to do it, but it's still a headwind. It's it's move. You gotta, you gotta push. 
But I tell you, I've never been more confident in the leadership and direction of a church that I've been a part of than now. Now, that doesn't mean that the churches that I was a part of, kind of in our younger stage, weren't great. Some of them I just didn't know real well. We just were kind of there. We had little kids. We didn't think we'd stay there long. I just didn't know. But I'll tell you, I, when we lived in the three of the series, there, there were some great places. But, you know, I, I've been on staff at a good, big Baptist church. I've, I planted a church. I was real organic and relational. And, and um, I, I just have been... Uh, just a couple of things I'm really digging right now about where we are at Sale Street, even with headwinds, which are real, and I'm not making light of any of them. I, I'm with you. That, that some things that are really, I'm really encouraged by, the, the leader's spiritual fervor and willingness to get real before the Lord and before each other. If you've been on staff at a church or something like that, that's, that's a refreshing turn of events in my book. That's, that's encouraging for me. Healthy deacons and Elders working together. Those are two leadership elements that are listed in the Bible. And uh, we walk through them here in our study in, in Acts and others. And that's the first time that I've been at a church where these two leadership elements were in place, functioning. And I think it's great. And particularly, I love the leadership spiritual dedication to the spiritual vitality of the church. That's number one, are, are people connected to the Lord? Uh, or is it... Is that going well? And, I, and I've got the thumbs up. So that part, I've got some headwinds that have made us stronger, I think. And to be sure, I'll, I'll give you a big old list of things that we have lots of room as Sale Street to improve and grow, for sure. And I'm sure you have, you can too. But I'm excited about next Sunday, which is our kind of vision Sunday. What's the placeholder we're going to put in the ground for the rest of 2022? 22 forward, what's it going to look like? I'm, I'm pumped, so you should be too. It's going to be a great day. All days are great. Uh, we're breathing air. We're above ground. Jesus loves us. My wife is pretty. My kids are great. It's fantastic. You guys are great. I mean, the barbecue is good. Sam Turner makes great food. There's plenty of things to be happy about, but 22 forward next Sunday is among them. So, whew. Oh, but so, you know, beloved, to be a, a fellow disciple with all of you is such an honor. And, and it's, it's our sacred duty to one another with those in your church family. And we all have a life mission to go and make disciples who can make disciples, who can make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one risen from the grave, by the way, alive forever and glorious in every way. And there is no one else worthy of the preeminent place of worship in our souls, where our minds, affection, our hearts, devotion make much of the one who knows and loves you more than any other. Oh, his name is Jesus. He's alive. And Jesus told his 12 and the 60 or so with them on a hilltop in Galilee when he was being raised up to heaven to go and make disciples and to baptize people who believed in him, their disciples, and to teach them to observe all that he had commanded them. Yes. In the middle of all that, our mission, that's our mission. We're continuing the, right, up Acts, then and now. We're continuing the disciples' mission. In the middle of all that, there's pressure and headwind. Headwind. That's the next slide. How do we respond to the pressure of heading into the wind? Well, the first one, uh, just come, lift off a few ideas from here. 
And the first one is character. Character is revealed through testing. Adversity provides an opportunity for testing. If you want an adversity-free life, then the Christian life is going to disappoint you. That's not a good goal. You need a better goal than to have an adversity-free life. Stress testing, you know, if you get on, I haven't been on a stress test, but that's a good one where you get on the test and you can measure everything. But field tests are where it normally happens. We get stressed out in the field. That's what happened in this case. James, uh, the Lord's brother, writes in James 1, 2 through 4, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Paul's, Paul's character is tested in this Battle, right? Four, shipwreck. Number four. We had four natural disasters last year. I had a bonus one. You know, it's just it's excitement. Ours will be tested as well. His testing season included he was falsely accused. His character besmirched. But he earned Julian's trust. You saw that in the beginning of the thing. He earned Julian's trust. Now, we don't know why Julius let Paul off to go see his friends. We don't know if Festus said he's innocent we don't know if, uh, we, probably, we, do, we probably can guess that Paul told Julius about the Lord. I'm going to Rome because I want to tell people there about Jesus. Have you heard about, have you heard about Jesus, Julius? I didn't hear about Jesus. Paul, what you got, man? You can just hear him. He's carrying on right there, man, Julius. But anyway, he earned Julius's trust, so something happened there. And if you want to endure and take, uh, here's a second one. This one came from Elizabeth. If you want to endure, take, and God gives you a point of respite, take it, right? So Paul stops in Sidon and, and uh, says, Acts 27.3, the next day he, we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go with his friends to receive their care. So that character that allowed Paul to earn Julius' trust gave Paul a respite so God could replenish him. When the pressure mounts, we can be tempted to get mad and act out at each other. Paul didn't do that. He earned Julius' trust, and he took his respite when it came to him. Leadership is another point we can come out of this. Leadership is not a title. Leadership, it's influence typically, and the influence is born out of that same character. Paul starts as a prisoner, and he ends up the show. You'll hear in two weeks uh, from Lucas running he ended up running the show, telling them how to save their lives when things go south. Paul and his companions, you know, that's the Luke, the we, and Aristarchus, they, they may either have become slaves to come on this voyage, or maybe they were getting a special permission, but in either case, Paul's leadership and influence let them have these two men to come be his companions. What else about leaders? Leadership is not just title, that's number, the first part. Leaderships love, leaders love people. Now, you can see this contrasted between the two people on, who had opinions about whether to go from Fair Havens or not. Paul said, if we go, we're going to lose the ship, we're going to lose the cargo, and we're going to lose all the people. And the Julian, Julius and the ship captain and owner said, yeah, let's go. They, they were on the ship. So it's not like they cared nothing about people, but they were willing to take the risk, and they called the ball for the people on the boat, not just for themselves. It's one thing if you want to take a stupid risk. If you want to bring people with you with your stupid risk, 
It's harder. Leadership loves people more than things and possessions. Things are important. I don't want to sleep outside tonight. It was cold last night. So sleeping outside without clothes sounds bad. So things are okay. I'm okay with having a few things. But you've got to love people and not things. Third idea in leadership is leaders give practical advice. We saw Paul give that. He gave practical advice about this from his experience as he'd been in the water three times, one night and a day at sea. He tasted and seen that shipwrecks are bad, and they didn't listen. I'll share just one more, and uh, this kind of includes elders here, and the leaders are humble. You've got to have some humility baked in the cake. And just to tell you here, I, I, I'm not putting that any we, that we elders know where safe port is and when to dock and not dock. Not the case, right? Leaders are humble uh, and Absolutely, there's, there's no way to know which way the storm is going and which one of the safe ports are. I'll drink a big glass of humility with you. Now, you, we can all practice wisdom. I went on a bent for a decade trying to think about wisdom, and there's so much about the book of Acts. Sometimes Paul says, or Peter, whatever, the Lord told us, and sometimes he just said they went. Does that mean that the Lord didn't tell them? Or is it they're, they're wise, or both? Yes. Wisdom is part of leadership. I didn't get there. So leaders... Leadership's not a title. Leaders love people. Leaders give practical advice and humility. You've got yes, to stay with some of that. Now, the third idea that comes out of this, into the wind, is we've got to know, if we're going to navigate into the wind properly, we've got to know that we're living in the land of the now, but the not yet. Are you with me? When sin came into the world and Adam and Eve sinned, the world was broken and Jesus, uh, the Lord, already then started to make a way to bring people back. He slew an animal in the garden and made a skin covering. That was the first sign of redemption's pointing to redemption, right? Something's going to have to die so that you can, guys can be rescued from this fate of sin and death. And then when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. When he busted forth out of the grave after paying for sin's penalty on the cross, he ushered in a new kingdom. But yet sin is still present in the world. So we have the overlapping kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And those overlapping kingdoms are here, they're present. And to navigate into the wind, we got to recognize that these two kingdoms are still at work. They're still here. How can we thrive in the now but the not yet? I'm, I'm almost done the band. Come back up. Get ready. How can we thrive in the land of the now but the not yet with two kingdoms overlapping, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. You're going to be shocked. It's going to be so surprising. You've got to have a confidence in this word. I wonder how many times Paul remembered on his journey from then forward what God told him in Acts 23, 11, we already read it today. After he was arrested. Remember, he, he was on his road to Jerusalem and they told him, don't go there. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be composed. You're going to be carried off in a chain. And in the middle of it, God met him and said, um, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. 
As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. This book of scriptures, our daily, hourly, one breath after another companion, is here with us when we head into the wind. If you want to manage your life well, manage, I don't like that word, lead your life well in the middle of the two overlapping kingdoms, this word, we got to have a commitment to the word of God. Confidence in the word of God. Just like the Apostle Paul. And we got to have confidence in the church. This is Jesus' expression on the earth. His body. Our baseline is not that we are individual Christian consumers shopping for spiritual products and services. No. We are more like, it's more like we're birthed into a spiritual family and we're we're heavenly families reproducing each other's, drawing new disciples of Jesus in and making them, training them how to make new disciples of, and training them how to obey all the things that Jesus has commanded us. And when the church is doing these things as outlined in the Scripture, we'll just pick a few of them. This is hardly a conclusive test, right? But meeting together, praying, Fasting, preaching the gospel, hiding God's word in our heart, anointing, appointing deacons and elders for the work, sending people out on mission here and where you live, mission there, mission everywhere, training up our children the way they should go. When those things are happening, man, that's, that's, that's our goal. That's our confidence that this church that God's provided for us is his way to navigate into the wind. There's headwinds coming. There's overlapping kingdoms present. There's remembering that Jesus has set up the church and being in that lane is good for us. It's good for us to be. Paul already wrote to that church in Rome that he was headed to. He told them that he could not wait to get there. In Romans 15, 23, right at the end he says, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions since I have all, and since I, I've been longing to see you for many years. Where's God taking us, Sale Street? Is he taking us to Rome? No. No, for sure. But he's taking us to where we work, where we live, where we play. And he's bringing with you, church, if you're born again in Christ, he's bringing with you this gospel, this hope. That there's, there's a place where the winds are in our face and the God who loves us is encouraging us inside. So where you live, where you work, where you play, to bring this good news with you. As our Savior and Lord, He is the closest connection. Because the new kingdom, the one that's going to endure, the one of, of the world, where sin reigns and destruction happens, including manifestations of that like disasters, disease, right? That's going to end. Boom. And, and only the other kingdom of Jesus will remain. But He's tarrying now. He's waiting Tearing's a good word. I like this Bible word. I like it. He's tearing now so that you and I, who lo- if, you, if you know him, church, if you love him with me, we're going to train each other, empower each other to take that gospel to where we live, work, and play. So people, and to the ends of the earth, right? To share. I've got hope for you in the midst of upwinds, bad winds, sideways winds, four times shipwrecked at sea, four natural disasters in your neighborhood. He's got encouragement for you and me.
He's Savior, He's Lord, He's not lost. He's not lost our connection to Him. If you don't know Him and you want to, man, I want you to know Him. He's great. He's great. Father God, as we prepare today to sing to you, I ask you to encourage the church today, the people who love you, to breathe in the air of encouragement, even in the midst of headwind. When you're going really fast into the wind, it's hard. It's just like difficult to breathe it in. You have to be disciplined. And when we have headwinds blowing at us, we want to be disciplined to have confidence in your word, confidence in the church, to know how to navigate two overlapping kingdoms. So we won't go weary or lose heart. We won't waste our time. But we'll bring your good news with us in our home, train up our children, our friends, encourage one another, have a big one-anothering, and go to where we live, work, and play, and live out the gospel and share your good news. Father, I pray for anyone in the room here who doesn't know you today, asking you, Lord, to encourage their heart to know that you're a step away, a breath away. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that, for it's by grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift from you, not by works that no one may boast. If anyone needs to know the Lord online, it's watching us or in this room, they would know your breath away. Trust Jesus. And if you need to know how, come see someone you know who brought you here, someone you love who knows that you're thinking about it or struggling with it or maybe not or me, or one of any other ladies or gals here who help lead. We trust, Lord, that you're great. And where we are short, you always make a way where there was no way. In Jesus' name.